This evening we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled 1 Samuel. But before we examine the events that are found here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we should take a moment to place our text back into its context. It'll help you to remember, first of all, that David and his men, there were 600 men with David, they set out to escape the unrighteous wrath of King Saul. And with this as their goal, they decided to leave the promised land of Israel and they decided to move their families to the Philistine city of Ziklag. And it was there in Ziklag where David and his men pretended to be the servants of a Philistine king named Achish. Well then, after they had been there in Ziklag for about a year, King Achish called them to join the Philistine army so that they could uh, join them in their campaign against the armies of Israel. Thankfully for David and his men, uh, the other kings of the Philistines, they questioned the allegiances of David and his group, and it's for this reason that the Philistines decided to send them back to their homes, which were back in Ziklag. Sadly, their absence from Ziklag, it ended up leaving their families defenseless against the armies of the Amalekites. And while it's my guess that David and his men were heading from the Valley of Jezreel back to Ziklag with, with, with uh, you know, just uh, an excitement to see the happy faces of their families, Uh, they actually found themselves facing their greatest nightmares as they arrived and discovered that their wives and their children had been taken. And what's even worse is that Liam Neeson wouldn't be around for another 3,000 years or so. So now as we study this situation found here in our text tonight, we're going to consider the way in which the enemies of our own soul, uh, those enemies are doing everything that they can to carry our families away into the carnal captivity of sinful bondage. And not only that, but we'll also see how the decisions that we make today, they can actually end up leaving our families vulnerable to the attacks of the devil and his demons, much like when David and his men took off uh, with the Philistine army and left their families unprotected. Well, with that being the case, let's turn our attention now to the events that we find here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you would look with me here beginning at verse 1, because here we learn that it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and, uh, and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now here in the first five verses of our text tonight, we find the families of David and the families of, of his mighty men. They're, they're under attack, and they end up being carried away as the captives of the Amalekites. Now, it'll help you to know that the Amalekites, these were the descendants of Amalek, who was the grandson of Esau. And while the Amalekites were a semi-nomadic group of people, they typically lived somewhere between Canaan and Egypt. It's also important to note that the Amalekites had been the sworn enemies of Israel ever since their exodus from Egypt. Ever since the Israelites had left Egypt and traveled to the promised land, the Amalekites were there causing problems. And knowing that the Amalekites would continue to be a thorn in the side of Israel, the Lord commanded King Saul to utterly destroy them. 
Sadly, Saul failed to accomplish God's command. And as a result, the Amalekites continued to be a thorn in their side. They continued to attack the chosen people of God. Now, I should point out that the word attack found there in verse 1, it refers to the act of conquering another with the intention of bringing them into subjection. And as we've seen, uh, they didn't kill anybody, but rather they carried them away captives. And as we consider this vicious attack uh, against the women and children there in Ziklag, we must understand that these families, they were actually vulnerable to this attack simply because David and his men decided to move from the land of Israel and into the land of the Philistines. They were there in Ziklag because David and his men moved those families there. And after moving their families to Ziklag, the men were then forced to leave their families behind because they had become the servants of a Philistine king named Achish. And they followed King Achish all the way to the Jezreel Valley. And it was during that time while they were away when the Amalekites took the advantage. They took advantage of their absence and they came into Ziklag and burned it down and carried away the families. Now in light of this story, I would point out that it's in a very similar yet spiritual way that there are demonic servants of Satan who are looking for every opportunity to attack our families. Uh, They're waiting for parents to drop the guard. They're waiting for us to be absent so that they can come in and burn down our families and carry, carry away the captives. This was precisely the point that Peter was making in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's there where he encourages every Christian to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter wasn't saying, hey, look, you know, the, the Christian life here in this, in this world, is, it's going to be a cakewalk. Don't worry about it. You know, Go ahead and, and, and drink and party and carouse and do whatever you want because there's nothing to fear. No, he says be sober and be vigilant. Be on guard because you have an enemy who desires to destroy you. The thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, which means that we need to remain vigilant and ever on guard. Please trust me when I tell you that the devil and his demons are planning an attack against all of our families. And much like those Amalekites, they're simply waiting for us to move to Ziklag. All right? Uh, they're just simply waiting for us to move our families to Ziklag. Or, or in other words, they're simply waiting for us uh, to just kind of stray away from the accountability of Christian community. They're, they're waiting for us to, to become more focused on secular things than spiritual things. They're waiting for us to drop our spiritual guards so that they can come in and lead our kids into the carnal captivity of sinful bondage. And I'm here to tell you that all you have to do to allow this to happen is nothing. Just do nothing. Don't lead your kids into spiritual disciplines. Don't spend time, you know, leading them into devotions. Don't, don't, you know, bother bringing them to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Just do nothing. And you'll be absent, much like David and his men when they went to the Valley of Jezreel. Just be an absent parent and just allow the enemy to come in and take your kids away captive. 
please trust me when I tell you that if you don't place a premium on practicing the Christian disciplines, then don't be surprised when you wake up one day and find that your kids have been taken away captive. If you're a Christian who shows no interest in serving the Lord, then don't be surprised when you wake up one day and find that your kids aren't interested in serving the Lord either, but rather they're just simply interested in serving themselves. If this sounds like your situation, if you find yourself, you're a parent and your kids have kind of, you know, just put the Lord on the back burner and they're not interested in spiritual things, then don't be discouraged. Don't be distressed. I'm happy to tell you that the Lord can empower you to turn things around. And with this is our focus, if you would look with me there beginning at verse 6. Here we learn that David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, I want to stop right here because it's clear that David, he's the leader of this group, and his public approval ratings completely tanked at this point in time. I mean, you know, when there's a group of people ready to kill you, uh, you know that your popularity is just completely gone. And it's, it's true that David was indeed wrong to lead all of these families to Ziklag. He blew it. He didn't bother seeking the leading of the Lord. He just made this decision thinking that it was the best decision, and it was a horrible decision. He led all of his men and all of their families into the land of the Philistines where they got attacked by the Amalekites. And yet at the same time, I must insist that all 600 of those families freely chose to follow David. Nobody forced them to follow David to the land of the Philistines. No, they they chose to follow David. They chose to put their own families in harm's way by following this guy who's making a decision which is clearly not in line with the will of God. And from this, we have to remember that we choose the leaders that we follow. I can't even tell you how it breaks my heart when I see Christians heaping up for themselves false teachers because they have... Ears that need to be scratched. They have ears that want to be tickled with, with feel-good stories. And so they go and they follow after these exciting leaders who are leading them to Ziklag. We have to understand that these, these fathers, these husbands, they were mad at David when, in fact, they should have been examining their own mistakes They should have examined their own guilt and their own culpability in the fact that they led their families into the land of the Philistines because they were following a man who was making unbiblical decisions. In similar fashion, listen, the Christian who realizes that their family has been carried away into carnal captivity, uh, they should first take some time to examine their own commitment to Christ. They should uh, take some time to examine their own decision-making processes. And while I don't mean to suggest that the kids of a committed Christian would never be led astray, it happens indeed. But what I am saying is this, that the Christian who is quick to blame everyone else for the carnality of their own kids they're failing to realize that the real problem is probably closer to home than they might like to admit. Don't be so quick to blame everyone else if your kids are caught in their own carnality. Examine yourself first. 
At the same time, though, you might be a parent who right now your, your kids are caught in carnality and you fully recognize that you were the one who failed to lead them into a close connection with Christ. And, and if this describes you, then, and, and maybe it's possible that you've been beating yourself up about it for years and years and years. If so, I would encourage you to consider David's example of repentance, which is found here in our text tonight, because David realized that he had blown it, that he made a mistake, and he began to correct the course of his life. As a matter of fact, notice with me again there at the end of verse 6, because here we learn that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He's lost his family, he's lost his wives, uh, you know, he, he's, he's completely tanking, you know, in the leadership, uh, you know, relationships that he had with those he was leading. But rather than just remaining distressed, rather than becoming depressed, he strengthened himself in the Lord. David sought the Lord who alone could give him the spiritual strength that he needed to turn this familial failure into a beautiful victory. And not only did he seek the strength of the Lord with some time in prayer, but he also spent time seeking spiritual counsel from the high priest of God. As a matter of fact, look with me there beginning at verse 7, because here we learn that David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now here in these verses we find David, he's he's seeking here the spiritual guidance of God, and he's doing so through Israel's high priest who had the ephod. Now this tragedy, it could have been avoided altogether if David would have simply sought this sort of counsel before moving to Ziklag. I mean, they could have just stayed in the land of Israel and avoided all this conflict, and yet that's not the story. The story is that they're in Ziklag. The kids have been carried away captive. Their wives have been carried away captive, and so now what do we do? And after seeking the spiritual strength of the Lord, David seeks spiritual counsel from God through the high priest. Based on this, it's nice to know that the Lord can help us to turn things around, right? It's nice to know that the Lord can turn things around even after our family has been carried away into captivity. And so if you're here tonight and you feel like all hope is lost for your family, I want to assure you that that's not the case at all. The Lord is able to turn things around if you're willing to submit yourself to him. I'll remind you, the Lord is the one who freed the Israelites from their Egyptian captors and He also freed them from their Babylonian captivity. And and the Lord is the one who's about to enable David to go and recover the families of him and his his men here in our text tonight. And and based on these three stories, we must not fail to, to recognize that this turn of events all began when David decided to go and strengthen himself in the Lord. And then after seeking the strength of the Lord, he sought spiritual instructions from the spiritual leader of Israel. And so this is my encouragement to every parent here tonight who finds their families living in the captivity of their own carnality. If this sounds like you, don't give up hope, but rather start seeking the strength of the Lord in prayer and then seek spiritual counsel from the leaders here in your church. We should also notice that the Lord will oftentimes help us to grow by leading us to help others who are struggling with similar issues. And with this in mind, if you would look with me there beginning at verse 9, here we learn that David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Basor, 
where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Now we have to remember here that this group of guys, they had actually traveled all the way from the valley of Jezreel to Ziklag. This is about an 80-mile journey, which I'm guessing probably took them two days. And, and, and so it's no wonder why there were so many who were too weary to continue traveling. Uh, they probably traveled at, 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 at a, a fast pace because they were in a hurry to get home. They wanted to see their family. And so by the time they got there, there were 200 who were just, just too tired to continue. 200 men didn't have the strength to pursue the Amalekites. And, and based on this, I would just point out that there are many Christians who find themselves completely spiritually exhausted. And the reason why is due to the fact that they've expended all of their energy on trivial pursuits or, or following uh, the wrong leaders. Remember, these guys had followed King Achish all the way to the Valley of Jezreel when they were told to turn around and go back home. What a big waste of time. And it left their families vulnerable. And there was 200 who were so exhausted by the time they got back that they couldn't help their families. We don't want to be those Christians who get so exhausted in, in secular things that we can't guide our families into spiritual truths when the time is for that. It reminds me of parents who just don't have time to do devotions with their kids. It's like, what are you doing? You know, one of the most important things a parent can do is spend devotional time with their kids. And if you're too exhausted to spend that time with your kids in that way, then I have to ask, is there something else that you could probably give up so that you can spend that time with your kids and with the Lord? Don't do so many things in this world that are just secular and trivial that you're exhausted when it comes time to doing real spiritual things with your family. When it comes to fighting the good fight of faith, we need spiritual strength. But what that means is that uh, you know, we need to be spending time seeking the Lord for spiritual strength, which means that we have to give up some of the things that really just don't matter. Knowing that there are many Christians in the world today who, who don't even know how to seek the spiritual strength of the Lord, it's important to recognize that when we come across those Christians, we still need to be those strong Christians who can aid them, who can help them. It's sad to say that there are many Christians who they go to a church and it's all pep rallies every Sunday. It's just a bunch of excitement, a bunch of smoke and mirrors. And, 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 but they have no real depth in the word of God. They have no real spiritual strength to fight the good fight of faith. And, and then we come along those people and they're too exhausted. They don't even know how to engage in the, in the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves surrounded by. And we need to be those strong Christians who say, okay, you rest, you sit tight, I'm going to step forward and fight this battle. And that's exactly what the 400 men did. The 400 men who could follow David, they had the strength to continue on, and so they helped the 200 who couldn't. They helped those 200 men who couldn't you know, continue fighting this fight. They moved forward for them and in their place. And not only that, but David and his men along the way, they end up helping us to see the importance of becoming those ministers who help those who may have once attacked our own families. And in order to explain what I mean by this, if you would look with me there beginning at verse 11, 
Here we read, Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and they gave him bread and he ate, and they let him drink water, and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Chethrathites in the territory which belongs to Judah, and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God, that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Now here in these verses we find David and his men, they're coming into contact with this Egyptian who had helped the Amalekites destroy their homes and capture their wives and carry their kids away as captives. And and I'm guessing it would have been real easy for David and his troops uh, to see this as an opportunity to take out their anger on this Egyptian guy. I'm guessing that it would have been real easy to begin to torture this man in order to acquire the intel that they needed to catch up with their families. Afterwards, they could have carried out their natural desires for revenge by by just completely killing this guy, but they didn't. Rather than torturing this guy, rather than than, than you know making him confess something, you know through through some sort of uh, violence, they instead decided to feed him. They fed him food. They they gave him bread and fruit. They refreshed him with water so that he could regain his strength. And and in this, they allowed him to become a repentant person. He was ready to join their ranks and help them to catch up with the Amalekites. And this reminds me of the way in which Paul, he, he also demonstrated a similar sort of grace when he dealt with those who were persecuting him because of his Christian faith. And with this is our focus. Hold your place here in the book of 1 Samuel and turn with me to Acts chapter 26. You see, it's in Acts 26 where we find the Apostle Paul. He's defending his faith before a king whose name was Agrippa. And while it's true that Paul had been bound in chains, it's also true that he took every opportunity, whether he was in the free world or whether he was chained uh, to a Roman guard, he looked for every single opportunity to share the gospel message, even with those who were attempting to shut him up in prison. And that's exactly what he was doing here in Acts chapter 26 as he stood on trial before Agrippa and Festus. But this is our focus. If you would look with me there at Acts chapter 26. I want to begin reading at verse 24 because here Luke writes, Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, 
but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Here in these verses we find Paul, he's taking this opportunity to witness to these Roman rulers who had made life so difficult for him and for all the other disciples of Christ. Remember, the, the Romans were persecuting Christians at this point in time, and, and Paul could have taken this approach of saying, you know what, uh, you're fighting against the people of God, and I'm not going to share the gospel with you. He, he, he could have simply just said, nope, I'm not going to give you the gospel of grace. But that wasn't his heart at all. Rather, he stood before these men who were his oppressors and his persecutors, He stood before these men who had placed him in chains and he attempted to lead them into the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, Paul constantly found himself in chains and and yet we see countless stories where he ends up leading many jailers and and, and many in the palace guard into the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, We don't know how many people he led to the Lord, but we know it was a lot. And one reason why is because he wanted to share the grace of God with everyone, even those who had persecuted him. And we see this same heart in David and his men as they begin to feed this Egyptian and give him water, though he had helped the Amalekites to persecute their families. In light of all of this, it's possible that You have kids who are being led astray by unbelieving friends. Maybe they're living for the lusts of this world and your your kids are beginning to follow in their footsteps. And if so, I would encourage you, spend time presenting them with the good news of God's grace. You know, rather than just letting your kids run off with them, don't do that. But rather than running off those friends and and, and saying, you can't ever talk to them again, spend time sharing your faith with them. Look at it as an opportunity to present those kids with the gospel message. It's possible that they've never heard about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's it's possible that they're still living a life of sin simply because no one's ever encouraged them to repent and trust in the cross of Christ. And so rather than responding with unrighteous wrath, we would do well to follow in the footsteps of David and his men by by feeding these people the, the bread of life which is the word of God. We would do well to refresh their soul with the living water that Jesus offers to every single sinner. At the same time, it's also important to recognize that there's a time to rescue our family from those who are trying to harm them. And with this as our focus, let's make our way back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's pick up our study there at verse 17. Here we learn that David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Now here in these verses we find David and his men, they're attacking the Amalekites, and the reason why is due to the fact that this was the only way for them to fully rescue their wives and their children. And in light of this, I would argue that there are times when we need to attack. 
And I would argue that we need to attack the philosophies and the, and, and the theological lies which would lead our families astray. For example, maybe you have kids who are attending public schools or, or a secular college, and if so, then you must know that they're being led astray with the lies of evolution. If your kids are going to secular schools, then that's what they're being taught, that we're a bunch of big you know, cosmic accidents and you know, nothing blew up and became something, and from goo to you by way of the zoo, here we are. And it's a lie. And it's being presented in a way that, that seems very intelligent, and yet really when you get into the science, doesn't add up. But I can't even tell you how many kids have been led from the Christian faith into atheism because of some secular scientist. I would suggest that we need to attack not the scientist, but the science. We need to attack these evolutionary lies and help our kids to see that it's false. We need to help them to see all of the evidence that supports young earth creationism. It's also possible that you have a spouse who's beginning to embrace the lies of a cult. Maybe they have a friend or maybe they have a family member who keeps trying to bring them back into some sort of cultic doctrine. And and, and you can't just sit back and watch that happen. You need to attack those lies. You need to attack those theologies and those philosophies. Don't just sit back and watch your spouse or your kids being carried away by the Amalekites. Instead, we need to do everything that we can to to attack those false teachings so that we can rescue them from deception. Christian, listen, there is a time for us to aggressively defend our family against the deceptions of the devil. And knowing that the enemy is waiting for a sneak attack, we would do well to safeguard our homes by preemptively preparing them for every attack that's about to come. For example... If we know right now that the enemy is only waiting for an opportunity for us to drop our guard so that in our absence they can lead our kids astray, then shouldn't we today be presenting our kids with studies in apologetics so that they know how to defend their faith whenever you're not around? And while most parents make sure that their kids have all kinds of opportunities to go and learn how to play sports and things like that. I would argue that Christian parents uh, would do better to help their kids to spend time learning how to share their faith. We would do better to equip our kids to help them to understand how to go out and share the gospel message and defend it in the face of unbelievers. In this way, uh, we can preemptively protect them from the Amalekites by teaching them how to defend the Christian faith against those who want to lead us astray. Listen, if they learn how to defend uh, you know, a, a soccer goal, how is that going to help them against the Amalekites? And while there's nothing wrong with placing your kids on a soccer team, it's not going to help them when the Amalekites come attacking. We need to preemptively prepare our kids for these spiritual attacks by raising them up to understand all of the arguments that support our Christian faith. Then when the Amalekites come attack, they, your kids are ready and, oh, no, that's, that's a lie. I'm not going to fall for that deception. Not only that, but I would say that the best way to do this, the best way to prepare them is to lead by example. In other words, your family should see your passion for defending the Christian faith, just like Jesus' brother Jude, who 
found it necessary to exhort every believer in his epistle to contend earnestly or to, to, to argue earnestly for the faith which has been delivered to the saints once and for all. Our kids should see this passion in our hearts that we desire to defend the gospel message. And if they see it in our lives, we could prayerfully hope that they would eventually follow in our footsteps. And listen, we should not only develop a desire to safeguard our family at home, but we should have the same passion uh, for the rest of those in our Christian community. And with this as our focus, let's pick up our study uh, beginning there at verse 20. Here we learn that David took all the flocks and herds that had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. Here in these verses, we're reminded of the fact that 200 men stayed behind, and the reason why is because they were exhausted. The rest of the men followed David. That's a group of about 400. And so 400 men went and pursued the Amalekites. And within this group of 400, there was a smaller group who are called here in this text wicked and worthless men very interesting i'm going to guess that there were plenty of reasons for why these men were considered to be wicked and worthless we aren't told exactly why but one evidence of this can be seen in the fact that they had no compassion for the other 200 who were part of their community they had no compassion for those men who had grown so weary that they couldn't move on No, instead, their only desire at that point in time was to keep the spoil for themselves so that they could simply enrich their own immediate families and and the rest of those 200 who who didn't bother to to, suck it up and move on. They were ready to just send them packing. There's no compassion in that at all. And and the reason why I say this is because they weren't willing to share the spoils of war uh, with those men who were just too exhausted to move on. And, And so rather than returning with a desire to bless everyone in their community with the spoils of war, those wicked and worthless men attempted to increase their own personal wealth by withholding the spoils from those 200 who stayed behind. And it's in similar fashion that there are Christians who treat their own income in the same exact way Rather than looking at their income as a way to bless their Christian community with with giving a percentage of their earned income to support their church, they instead choose to keep all of their money for themselves. Uh, They simply say, oh, no, this is mine. This this is my money, and and I'm going to bless my own immediate family with this money. And if this sounds like you, then I want to encourage you to realize that the Lord blesses us individually so that we can bless others in our Christian community corporately. In order to prove my point, I want to consider the way that that David reacted to those who were refusing to share the spoils of war. war. If you would uh, look with me there at verse 23. Here we learn that David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is, who goes down to the battle? 
so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now here in these verses we find David, he's actually rebuking those wicked and worthless men who refused to share the spoil. And the main reason why is found right there in verse 23 where he reminds his brethren, and I find that interesting that he says, my brethren, he's saying, hey, we're a community here, we're brothers, and you shall not do with what the Lord has given us. This isn't what you went and earned, this is what the Lord gave to you. And the Lord gave it to them because he preserved them in the battle and he delivered these spoils into their hands by helping them to overpower the Amalekites. Knowing that the Lord had given them this victory, he directed them to share the spoil with everyone within their community. And not only did David direct his men to share what they had with one another, but we also find him setting out to share with those who were in great need. As a matter of fact, look with me there at beginning at verse 26. Here we read now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aror, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Eshtimoah, those who were in Rachel, those who were in the cities of the Jeremites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Horma, those who were in Korshan, those who were in Athak, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to roam. Now here in these verses we find David sending this portion of the spoil that they had acquired there in battle. He sends it to the elders there in the southern area of Judah. And in order to understand the reason for this gift of benevolence, we should notice uh, that these were all Jewish cities that were in the southern end of Israel, and specifically in Judah. And with that being the case, I I want you to back up with me and look at verse 14, because there again in verse 14, we find the Egyptian servant informing David about the way in which the Amalekites had invaded the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah, and then also the southern area of Caleb before they moved on and burned down Ziklag. And we see here that they had carried away spoil from these cities in Judah. And you better believe that the southern cities of Judah had been susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And so David, he sets out to bless those Israelites there in southern Judah by sending them this gift of benevolence. He knows that they had been robbed. He knows that they were broke. And so he simply just blesses them with this gift of benevolence. I believe that we too, as Christians, should have the same heart of benevolence. And we certainly do as a church. We, we want to take the offerings that are collected here at Calvary South Austin and use them to support those who are in need with financial aid. And, and the more money that's here, the more we can use it to support others who have financial needs. And with this as our goal, I want to remind you that the Lord is the one who's provided us with the income that we have. If you think that you're the person who pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps and gone out there and earned this money and whatnot, just repent of that. Because the Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. And our income comes from the Lord. Therefore, why would we turn around and say, oh, this is mine, and, and I can't share That's not the heart of David. That's not the heart of the Lord. 
With that being the case, we would do well to acknowledge this. We would do well to acknowledge the fact that the Lord is the one who provides for us. And we acknowledge this by sharing a portion of the finances that he's given to us by supporting the work of the ministry here at our church. I would also argue that this is yet another way for us to safeguard our families against the attacks of the enemy. And in order to explain what I mean by that, let's think about it like this. We tend to commit our time and energy wherever we invest our money. Wherever we place our money, we're we're invested in that. And the reason why is because your heart is wherever your treasure is. With that being the case, if you're investing your treasure here at your church, then you're also going to to develop a passion for spending your time serving the Lord here at your church. Uh, You want to see how that money is being used. You want to be a part of how that money is being spent, and you should. Then as you develop a passion uh, for serving the Lord here within your church, listen, I'll tell you right now, the family who spends their time serving the Lord here at church, well, they're less likely to be carried away into the captivity of their own carnality. When we dedicate ourselves and, and commit ourselves to serving the Lord here at our church, and when we commit ourselves to financially investing in the work of the ministry here at our church, well, then parents aren't off in the valley of Jezreel fighting the wrong fight, leaving the kids at home you know, to d- try to defend themselves against a sneak attack by the Amalekites. No, where are we? We're in our Christian community. We're serving God together. And we're less susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, I want to remind you that the Amalekites, they're always looking for the opportunity to lead your family away into the captivity of carnality. And it's for this reason that we must become those diligent disciples who are seeking the strength of the Lord. We need to be seeking the godly guidance of those that the Lord has called to lead. And then we can guard our families against the attacks of the enemy by leading them into a life of spiritual discipline all for the glory of God. Let's pray.